everybody, this is your host, Aram Ilkamov, and you're listening to another Product Innovation Show episode, where every week our guests share their stories and wisdom on how to ship a great product. Today, I'm joined with the Director of Product Design at Remix. His name is Filippo Di Trapani. Uh, he's our first guest actually on the show uh, who's actually working in the Web3 ecosystem, so very exciting. Um, just a quick little background on Remix. It's a platform for creatives building the future of digital wear- wearables for the metaverse. And um, just to tell you a little bit about our guest speaker today, uh, Filippo, Filippo architected engaging experiences across multiple browsers, platforms, and devices at companies like Shopify, uh, WordPress, which is automatic, uh, ShowMe, T-Mobile, Alcatel, Lucent, Iridium, and Canadian Geographic. So lots of uh, different variety of experiences. So really excited to uh, dive into that. So Filippo, uh, thank you for coming on our show, and it's great to have you. Great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Cool. Um, the first question I have is uh, Web3. Mm-hmm. Uh, when and why did you decide to go into this new uncharted territory? Yeah, um, so I got uh, I got the current role I'm in um, earlier this year in March, uh, but I had been kind of interested in what was going on in the Web3 world um, uh, earlier last year. Um, and, and so I, I, first of all, when I first heard the term Web3, I was like, what, what's Web3? And I went to search it and then I had been like reading things here and there. But um, yeah, I had uh, a connection to the CEO of Remix, uh, Nazim uh, Ahmed. And he, uh, w- him and I would connect every now and then. And uh, he reached out to me again earlier this year to give me a demo of what they were working on. Um, and at the end of the demo, he asked if I wanted to join Remix. And uh, initially in my mind, the I, I, I was thinking I wouldn't because... Um, I just joined another company that I was working at for for just over a year. Uh, But as I thought about it more and more, I I thought I'd be a fool not to take it on because um, the timing was just right. Like if you looked at the market back uh, in March, everything was kind of exploding. Um, I also have three young kids and I see how they're kind of in the digital wearable space. You know, they're playing Minecraft and Roblox and uh, Fortnite and they're constantly bugging me to buy them clothes and stuff like that and so you know if you look away from like how the world is today and you look further out like this to me this is the best time to jump in at the very early stages to kind of be here at the beginning and and my thinking again it's like um once it's more mainstream i already have like uh time and experience behind me in in the space so it's very exciting time to be Mm -hmm. be here Awesome. And so just maybe for our audience uh, who aren't too familiar with Web3, mm-hmm. maybe we could just, maybe if you could tell them a little bit what what is Web1, what's Web2, what's Web3, right? Uh, just to give a bit of like a background. Yeah. So uh, whenever you, you read an article about Web3, there's usually the same graphic there that's got the Web1, Web2, Web3. And so Web1 was, uh, again, when the, the internet first came out, it was mostly just read only where you would have static web pages. Um, for reading content and information. Um, the next phase of the web that came on um, is Web 2.0. I don't know if people remember it, that term, but it's when social media companies started coming about. Um, and in that point, people could read and write uh, to, to the internet. Um, e-commerce started growing out of it as well. Um, and so the web started becoming more engaging in that way. You can take part of it. Um, but it's also a time where um, companies were able to like harvest data and and advertise to us and and developed a lot of uh, things that a lot of people aren't happy with and and so 
over time, people have been kind of working on a combination of different technologies uh, that make up what is known as the Web3. And uh, the idea with Web3 is to, to be a more immersive web platform. And so you've got technologies like augmented reality and uh, virtual reality that enable that. Uh, and then we've got other technologies like the blockchain and cryptocurrencies um, that help people kind of transact more easily online. So uh, in terms of sending money, um, improving ownership and that kind of thing, um, those are the other pieces of that technology. And so this also with the Web3, the, the idea is that, we, that we're looking to make uh, as part of the ethos is to make Web3 users owners of their own content um, and, and to share in the wealth that is the, the internet. And so, again, the old model in Web2 is you use these products for free, but your data is getting harvested. Other companies are making all the money off that data, and you're just there happily, blissfully, like looking at photos and stuff. In the Web3, this model can change where, um, you know, in consenting to uh, look at ads, you can get a piece of that, like money, like money of like um, interacting with ads. Um, or again, when you make a recommendation and a sale gets made, you can trace that recommendation back. And, and again, you can start kind of um, earning off, off the internet and the products you use versus the, the Web2 way where um, other people are making the money. Awesome. That's a great, I think, uh, quick uh, walkthrough of, uh, of, that, of that kind of Web1 to Web3. So thank cool. you. Um, Specifically with Web three, um, how do you how do you go and how do you go about approaching creating a new product in in this space? Because you know it's not really well that defined. Like, how do you kind of determine what to create? Yeah, so in some ways, a lot of it is the same as what we're used to in, in product management, where you know you you do your research, you're speaking to people, you're trying to validate things early and often. Um, where things start getting a little different is there's this whole concept of like communities behind Web3 projects, um, which uh, in, in some ways is, is a, a way to kind of like evangelize people around your product and bring them in and, and, and kind of help them kind of validate your ideas and, and see um, whether you're onto something or not. And so again, in the, in the Web3 world, it's kind of different that you work with these communities, you, you share often with them, um, you um, engage them and, and if you're doing things right, you get the right signals back, you get more people joining, um, you get people excited about your product and when you release um, features or you release products, um, you've got people buying them and not only buying them because they're in your community and they're brand evangelists, they're out there selling it and for you and um, in, 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 in some cases, um, they're hopefully like benefiting in that process of, of selling to you like because they can they can earn as well and so for remix as an example uh, we're, we're creating a community of artists um, that can uh, use our design tool to make 3d digital wearables for the metaverse and so uh, we've brought these artists uh, into our community and we're working with them to develop our product um, and and so the once you, you design your 3D wearable, we've created a marketplace that they can sell their product, the, their clothes to. And so um, we benefit when they go out and, and um, share their their creations and, and sell their creations to their customers. And they, they benefit because they earn off of their the, the work that they've done. And so it's a win-win for both of us that way. 
Interesting. And with your background, I you know you worked at a lot of different companies before mm-hmm. going into Web three. What would you say are some of the fundamental differences between Web three mm-hmm. uh, products versus like SaaS software as service products? Yeah. So the the community aspect of it is um, is a is a different approach, and I don't think it's limited to Web three. I've spoken to some some colleagues in um, in SaaS businesses, and there's there's nothing stopping like a, any company really to create a community where they can uh, engage their customers and their customers can engage each other and they can, you know, build um, this, these ambassadors around them. Uh, but beyond that, um, again, the technology is different in some ways. It's still, let's say, like it's it's maturing, but it's still early. Some stuff isn't as well-developed as it could be. Um, wallets, for example, are amazing when you... Um, don't have to remember a password. You can go to any site and connect your wallet. Um, <laughs> but then there's there's downsides to that too in terms of security and stuff like that. So w- where it is today, again, is not where it's going to be in like five years. But the the vision is there, the dream is there that you don't you only need one password and you can you can kind of move around really easily. And so technology wise, there's there's that setup that you you need to work with. There's those constraints that you need to work with that you typically wouldn't. Um, necessarily do so in in the the, the SaaS world, um, and then um, yeah, the then there's also this idea of interoperability, uh, which again is is a, a beautiful vision where you as a user on the web you own your own content and you can take that content anywhere you go. Uh, in reality, it's proving to be very difficult uh, from a technical perspective. So when you look at the, the 3D digital wearable space, as an example, we're creating 3D models um, that, um, in theory, you should be able to take and use on any platform or any place. And so how, how does that look when there's no standards right now? And so it's, again, it's still early. And so we're you know, coming up with different ways that we, you know, when you download a package, for example, we just provide a bunch of different formats, but there isn't just one, you know, universal 3D format that you can use across the board. And so uh, that's one of the other challenges we're, we're kind of working with and, and is unique in the, the Web3 space. And you mentioned on, on, on this in the, in the last answer just now, but it's like a billion dollar question, but what would it take mm-hmm. for these technologies to get more mainstream where the idea of a wallet to be accessible available you know towards the common user from a technology perspective or from like uh you know uh economic perspective or whatnot like what would it what would we need to do in order to finally make this a reality i think it's it's happening in a lot of ways already um there's a lot of like more and more people getting into uh, crypto financing, because again, they, they see the, the financial opportunities of doing so. So people are making that leap. They're going through huge hurdles to get there. I don't know if you've ever um, bought an NFT or traded in crypto. It's, it's, it's a huge barrier, especially in Canada. You've got you've to direct deposit your money into some secret account, and then you, if you're lucky, you get your money afterwards. Um, <laughs> and so... There, there are hurdles, but people are, are traversing them. It's, it is like a billion-dollar industry, over a billion-dollar industry already. I think um, in January alone, like over $5 billion or something like that was 
was sold. And so it's, people are slowly making that journey over. Um, but then there, there are companies too that are trying to bridge the gap. And this is something we saw in our, our marketplace as well. Um, again, since, since there is such a big barrier for people to, to like get access to um, uh, like cryptocurrencies and to pay on our, our platform, we're looking at options of, with other uh, platforms out there that are, are kind of bridging the Web 2 and the Web 3 world. And so what this looks like is, um, you know, they accept credit card payments. Uh, but then instead of you having to own your own wallet, they've got like a custodial wallet for the, the whole um, application, which will hold on to your assets until you're ready to transfer them out. And so they're, they're, they're yours when you log into your account with the email and password. They, they have that there too. Or you can pick the, the, the wallet. Um, they, they, they let you move your, your assets to another wallet if that's what you want to do. So again, uh, back to the interoperable concept. And so there are some companies thinking about how to bridge this world so that it's easier for people to start buying digital assets and, and retain ownership of them and then giving them the means to like move on to like a full Web3 kind of uh, wallet or something like that. Okay. Um, just to go back in time, just for a couple mm -hmm. minutes. Um, I mean, Shopify. You spent you spent some time working at that company, which for many people in the tech world was like some of like the most. They did a lot of innovative things. Mm -hmm. They pushed like a lot of frontiers in terms of product development. What What would you say were some of the, your biggest learnings that you had during that time there, and what lessons did you learn while at Shopify that? you know, you're still applying or coming back to today in Web3? Yeah, so I mean, Shopify it was definitely an amazing company to work with. Um, the CEO, Toby Luca, was uh, he's a visionary. Um, and the leadership team at the time that I was there was, was just excellent. Um, I think they set like a really good framework for people to work in there and to, to push themselves and to push each other. And so um, I, some of the lessons from Shopify, again, was what good leadership looks like. Um, how valuable having good values and, and that kind of thing is to give people autonomy to kind of work within their 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 craft. Uh, but in terms of the, for me personally, is it like working at Shopify, I learned a lot about product management, working on, around a lot of really smart people in that space. Um, I saw the value of like how to craft a really good um, case for building a product or a feature. Um, and how you use a combination of qualitative and quantitative data, how you speak to diff different people to get that point across. You know, there's people that resonate with like emotional arguments and other people that need more rational ones. And so you, that's where you use the, the qualitative and the, the quantitative data. And so those were, were um, that was one of the very key parts of my career overall in terms of, um, again, learning how to like gather the information and, and do the research I need to do to identify different needs and, and come up with, with good ways of solving those, those problems. Um, one of the other things that uh, I learned at Shopify was just working at scale with lots of people. When I joined, there were 300 of us, and then when I left, there were 2,000, and it was um, felt like a very quick um, acceleration as, as people started coming on board. And so that's um, that's helped me a lot in the Web3 space. Um, again, learning to communicate at scale, reporting upwards, um, generating reports and that kind of stuff. Um, it, it, it's helped me in the Web3 space because again, with this community, uh, again, um, 
you got this group of people that you're trying to um, corral around your product. You want them to be excited about it. And so you, you use the same kind of tactics in terms of reporting and, and communicating frequently and sharing progress um, with that community to, to kind of get them excited about your product and engaged and, and again, turning them into brand ambassadors. And so that skill um, has just served me so well from learning it at Shopify, uh, moving to Automatic, which was a full, it's been fully distributed company for over 15 years now. Um, and so um, learning to kind of communicate at that at Shopify helped me in a remote context and now um, in the Web3 space with, with the community kind of is helping me a lot there as well. And so um, again, this comes down to one of their, their values at, at Shopify was do things, tell people. Um, and so it's, it's something I've held on to since, since I've left Shopify and, and, and it's served me very well. Awesome. I really like that. Do things, tell yeah. people. It's on. <laughs> it is. <laughs> um, you, you, you mentioned about remote work. Mm -hmm. So I have a couple of questions yeah. there. If I'm not mistaken, you've been working remotely for the last six years. That's right. That right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Are, are you, are you missing the office or, or do you like, um, or do you like yeah. this remote? No, not at all. I mean, it, I don't ever like to say never um, because you never you never have full control of your life in in a way that you would hope to have. But if if it was up to me, I don't think I would go back to the office. Um, I feel like I'm in a very lucky position now that I'm working for Remix, uh, which is a remote company, but it's based out of Ottawa, the city I live in, and so uh, I do get to see my colleagues from time to time. But um, seeing my wife as uh, she works for the federal government, they're starting to kind of roll out like a return to office policy and seeing how that's playing out for her I'm just like i don't need to sit in, in traffic <laughs> and sit around the office chatting with people like it's just too much work to do all the time to <laughs> be using it up that way um and so i again i think there, there are key things that help remote companies be successful at automatic um they would bring the team together uh I mean, they bring teams together on a semi-frequent basis and then the whole company would come together once a year i know the pandemic changed that and the pandemic changed remote work as well like what what i experienced um during the first year of the pandemic was not what i experienced the the years before that where i was home alone working like uh during the pandemic i had three kids running around climbing on me and again thanks to automatic and the distributed nature there it was really easy for me to change the way I worked because we had colleagues working all over the world at different hours. And so I didn't have to subscribe to like a, uh, the traditional nine to five. I could work whenever I needed to. And uh, whether it's automatic or mm -hmm. some other examples, what, what have you seen as being like the secret so sauce or the secret formula to effective remote, leadership and product development yeah so i again i think that the meet meeting like the teams coming together on a somewhat semi-frequent basis is really important because um that's when people form connections with each other i mean in, in our case again we would travel to different cities cities across the world and spend a week together and so you're eating together you're working together you're partying together if you're into that kind of thing um and so then you're build really deep relationships with people. And, and I, I find that, that helps work really well together. Um, the other secret to um, remote work is uh, no, no big surprise, but like 
good communication. And so you can't kind of replicate good communications through having lots of meetings and, and um, just kind of replicating the, the in-office experience. I think it's, it's really about embracing asynchronous communication. Um, and, and if you, again, in, in terms of hiring, um, you open up your pool of talent across the globe versus a very narrow geographic location. Like you, you can bring people from all kinds of backgrounds into your, your company and offer all those diverse perspectives. So I think that's like a, a key part. And, um, with that as well, if, if you can unlock like the 24 hour cycle of work happening, which it's tough to like get it going, but when you do, like it's amazing. Like you can set people up with work to do, and you go to sleep, and when you wake up, it's done. Like it's it's like a magical thing, and then you're almost like picking up the baton and, and kind of uh, carrying on that work. And so it, it's it's really cool if you can kind of get that to to work. And that's just through a great asynchronous uh, communication. That's yeah? right. Whether that's uh, around comms or or work. Uh, that, uh, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, and uh, yeah, the communication pro proliferates in a lot of different ways. I mean, it's it's not only just how you're speaking to each other; it's how you're defining your projects, how you're defining the scope of work, um, how frequently you're touching base with people. So again, if if you're if somebody goes like quiet for too long, like there's a problem there, and you you need to like reach out and connect with people. And, and so, um, again, a communication is, is so critical and in, in so many different forms in terms of making sure that work is happening, that people are happy and, and things are going and, and that there's no kind of ambiguity because that's, that's where the downfall with, with remote work is, is when you, when people aren't aligned and they go off and start working on, on the, the wrong things or, or are they spending time on stuff that they shouldn't, um, mm -hmm is where it, it can become ineffective. Any, uh, any specific epic fails when it comes to remote product management that you've, uh, you've come across? Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it goes back to that communication and assuming that everybody is kind of on the same page with you. And so then people will, um, in, in my, in a personal kind of story, we, um, we had like a timeline we were working towards to, to deliver a feature. And, um, you know, I thought we were all on the same page in terms of what we were doing and, and when it needed to be done by. And um, as the project went on and the time kind of get started kind of shrinking on us, I noticed like that we weren't where we needed to be. And, um, and it was, again, because we weren't communicating like the scope of what we needed to get done and when like people were kind of working on other stuff and, and picking up pet projects. And, and it was like, you know, why are you working on that when we need to work on this? And they're like, well, when we, when we like sat down and spoke about it, they, they didn't know, you know, they didn't see the full picture of the, the different moving pieces. And they thought that they got the one piece done and that, we, you know, we were good. And so, um, yeah, it just came back to communication, um, and, and making sure that it's very, like, obviously clear like what it is that we're working towards and, and um, that it's, it's easy to access for everybody. And so awesome. it came, it came down to a communication um, breakdown in the end, the fail. <laughs> yeah, I think communication, our, our principle around this is communication, 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 right. just over communicate right. 
kind of everything all the time, especially in the remote world. It's That's so big, yeah. Times. And there was um, there was a, a value at automatic was communication is oxygen. Like it, you just needed to over communicate. There's never such a thing as too much. <laughs> too much, exactly. I'm gonna ask you just a couple more product management mm -hmm. specific questions, and then uh, we'll jump into the fireside okay. uh, format. So. You know, with your background in product management, what, even today, whether it's Web3 or non-Web3, what do you feel a lot of product directors often still do these days, which don't get them a great product? Yeah, so... I know it's a pretty broad question. Yeah, it is broad. I, I don't... Are there steps being skipped? Yeah. I mean, I can speak yeah. to my, my own experiences and not so much to, like, what other people are doing. I think, um, yeah, there there's always a temptation to move quickly and not do your research um, and then, you know, um, just kind of building things that aren't kind of aligned with your, your customers, um, or, um, or of value to anybody. And so uh, again, skipping research and validation is not, um, something that, that pays off in the end. Like it, you might, if you're just cutting corners, like it's going to cost you in the end. And so, um, there's also the, the sunken cost fallacy where, you know, you believe you're heading down the right direction and then maybe you learn somewhere along the line that it isn't but you you tell yourself you've got to keep going because you committed all this time into it and so there are times as hard as it is to you just got to cut your losses and and move on and in the end it's it's always like a better decision uh for everybody um to kind of realize that as soon as possible and so again it at automatic i worked with a, a really good manager they would often ask us um you know are we you know, still confident in what we're building. Is this the, the right thing that we're building? And is there any way we can like cut the scope so we can get it out and learn quicker from, from our uh, audience. And so again, that that's another challenge is like just building too much and, and, and uh, before getting like validation from, from your, your customers. Um, and so again, sinking too much time, behind the scenes uh, versus kind of getting stuff out early. And so that's another thing in, in the Web3 world that um, we've kind of embraced on our end is getting stuff out a lot earlier and, and maybe in, in states that we're not like 100% comfortable with, but it's always paid off um, to get something out to an audience um, and get their input uh, versus keeping it inside and just building that extra feature or adding that extra polish um, in the end of the day, that stuff matters, but at the same time, it, I think it matters more to like get things out in front of people. Um, and so we, again, we've had a number of moments, even on the marketing side where we're like, is it too early to share this thing? And it's, it's, it's never too early. Cause then again, you get the signals of like, are you on track? Are you doing the right thing? And, and should you keep moving forward with this or, or is it time to do something else? And uh, what um, what aspects of product development would you say money can't fix? Um, I think making good decisions is something. I mean, you can't put more people on that. <laughs> and so, again, you've got to mm -hmm. do your research. You've got to be speaking to people regularly. Um, you've got to be getting stuff out uh, to, to your audience again to to make sure you're, you're doing the right thing. And so again, that's not anything money can, can buy for you. It's just, um, you know, it's thinking strategically. It's thinking, um, again, like 
working with your, your audience in mind and, and building things for them versus building for yourself. Um, and, and again, it's not a matter of like putting more people on that kind of thing. Um, you just, just gotta take the time to go through the process, um, every time and, and to, to get things right. Awesome. Uh, last question before we jump into the fireside. Um, what are things um, you wish people would ask you more often? Um, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think I, I like to push myself and I'm hard on myself that way. And so I, I wish people would, would push me in that same way as well to ask, like, is it good enough? Can we do better? And um, I always take that as a as a personal challenge. And uh, a lot of times you can if you just kind of put your head down and put the extra time in to, to do something. And so recently, um, I um, somebody did kind of ask me that question, and, and it, it made me feel good that they did. And, and uh, I went back to the, the drawing board or something, and uh, the solution in the end came out to be um, better and more elegant and simpler to to implement than what i had originally proposed and so again um especially as you go on in your career people kind of just agree with you more they see you as like a, a thought leader in the company and so being challenged um i think is both a, a good sign of respect um that they think you can handle like the the truth or, or the 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 uh, pushback and um I think it's, it's best in everybody's interest to be asking each other those kind of questions. Keep challenging each other. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Okay. Um, ready for the fireside format? So it. the format is I ask a question, try to try to answer it in as few words as possible. Sure. Um, so the first one is, uh, how do you ask better questions in product? Um, do you got to listen better? Learn to listen and uh, talk to more people. <laughs> okay. And what have you become better saying no to over the years? Um, the eternal optimist in me makes it really hard to say no, but um, I, I, I have come to find like something that never works out is the silver bullet like uh, feature request to say, if we do this one thing, it's going to 10x everything. And I just... I've. I've never seen it come to life. And so usually those kind of things look like distractions to me more than, than real, um, real solutions to real problems. Okay. Um, if you, if you only had the opportunity to work say five hours per week, mm -hmm. what, what, what would you do in, in those five hours in terms of focus? Um, yeah. So, uh, uh, do you mean like within the, uh, the space that I'm working now, or if it could just be anything I could do in, in yeah. well, if it was anything I would, def I, I just want to work on creative work. And so whether it's, um, doing more design work or, um, even like front end development, I like, uh, building. And so if I could do a lot of that, um, uh, that that's what makes my heart happy. Okay. Awesome. Uh, are there any contribution controversial views you hold in product? Um, yeah, I think we, we're all designers in some way. Um, and so, uh, I know some designers will look at that and say no, but, um, I just think some of us are more practiced than others. I think, um, design like art is a, is a process and, uh, 
it's teachable and and repeatable and so if you sit down to do the work you put the time in um, some people might get to the the end result a lot quicker because they're they're talented but i think everybody as long as you exercise those muscles can can be a designer or an artist uh, would you say uh, sorry that's not yeah. one of the questions but would you say design is uh, an objective thing it, it is art is more subjective but art uh, design and, and product development is more objective. Um, again, we, we have ways to measure the effectiveness of it. And so um, there are subjective mm -hmm. elements to it, but um, for the most part, again, you can, you can measure how effective something is, which in my mind makes it more objective. I 100% agree. I just wanted <laughs> yeah. to, to <laughs> confirm with you. Um, all right. Um, what is, what is one or two uh, of the most worthwhile personal investments you've you've made to date in in your career? Um, so so that I think the best thing I found in my career is creating space to to play and experiment and explore. So uh, working on side projects, as an example, is the way I've learned a lot of the stuff um, that have made me who I am today. Like as an example. Um, before I joined Automatic, I um, took on a side project. I wanted to build a mobile app. Um, and so I, I picked up React Native as a way to build cross-platform apps. Um, and then it just so happened when I joined uh, Automatic, they, they did everything with React. And so investing that time to learn to code and, and to, to use React um, paid off dividends to me. And, and it, it happened multiple times after I've just... Um, outside of work having like the time to work on another problem um you you learn really great skills and 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 um like time management and marketing and things that you wouldn't necessarily learn work uh, encounter in the confines of your your day-to-day -day job interesting um any books um that you've read recently or in the past that really influenced your life yeah so um i didn't mention this but i grew up in in johannesburg south africa um and i moved to canada over 20 years ago but uh, the long walk to freedom by nelson mandela was um one of the 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 best books i've read in my life it's, it's really like resonated with me in a lot of ways and um really opened my eyes to to a lot of things um but other influential books that i've read over time um it's the linchpin by Seth Godin. I think that was like a catalyst for me to kind of change the way I operated at work. Um, and it's, it's paid off in, in a lot of ways. And then, um, the lean startup was, um, again, my introduction to the product world and, and this whole concept of validating ideas and talking to customers earlier. I mean, I was at the time I read that I was already kind of in the interaction design and UX world and, um, I was for the most part leaning very heavily on um, qualitative, uh, quantitative data. And so that, that kind of opened my mind to doing like more qualitative stuff. And, and then again, thinking about minimum viable products and, and, and all those kind of ideas. Okay. All right, great. Uh, Filippo, anything you want to share with the audience as like a, a takeaway when it comes to product management? 
before we wrap up? Um, yeah, I would just uh, share again that the Web3 space is very exciting time and exciting place to be in. It it's literally feels like we're working in the future. Um, and so uh, I would say I would encourage people to, to kind of look into it because there's a lot of concepts and ideas there that, um, you know, you might, you don't necessarily need the technology to, um, to make those kind of ideas come to life and it, you can build like a better product out of it. And again, I keep coming back to the, the community aspect of things where, um, you, you look to create more value for, for your community and, and then they repay that back to you tenfold. And so, Again, that's not something you need Discord to do, uh, which is the the preferred like tool for administering communities. Um, and, and again, I hope that's uh, one of these things that we look at as a today thing and not a future thing, because uh, Discord can be hard for for people to get into. But um, you don't need those tools. Like you can build a community any way um, you want, and not not rely on Web three technologies for that. So it's a good, good place to look at for inspiration. Um, there's definitely a lot of creativity happening in this space. So it's again, there's just a lot of really cool, exciting stuff here for everybody to kind of poke their heads up and, and take a look at what's going on. Awesome, yeah, for sure. It's a really fast-paced uh, ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So, Filippo, uh, uh, thank you so much. It was awesome having you. Uh, thank you for sharing your your wealth of knowledge with us. And to all, to all the listeners, always thanks for tuning in, supporting the show, and uh, uh, stay tuned for the next episode. We are proud.